It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. We're coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're listening. I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant, located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912-268-2328. 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simons to get an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to you in part by our free app. That's right. You want to watch the show? You want to listen to the show on your phone, on your handheld? No matter where you go, take us with you. And if you're a female, take us in the shower, would you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't electrocute yourself. But hey, just download the app. It's real easy. Just visit our website, billycboxing.com. And guess what? Click on the banner that says download the app. <laughs> it's that simple. And don't forget, Fight TV is your place uh, to watch fights that you can't get on your regular television provider. We have a nice embedded player right on the front page of Billy C. Boxing. Don't forget to stop there when you want to watch your next fight. And finally, today's show being brought to us in part by my book. Tom Molino from Bondage, the baddest man on the planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. You can get a copy while you're watching or listening to the show right now. I'm talking right now. Right now, that's what I mean. You can get it right now by visiting barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Want a signed copy for the holidays? Hey, we love to give signed copies for the holidays. Just visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on, you know, the book. You can't miss it. Jeremy's got it all over the page, so uh, check that out. All right, today's show. Uh, what we got going on is uh, we got our blast from the past, a uh, requested blast from the past, uh, former multi-division world champion, Tony the Tiger Lopez. Alex Papali will be on a little bit later. Uh, to tell us about Tony the Tiger Lopez. Also, Boxing Hall of Famer Larry Hazard will stop by and talk some boxing with us. Uh, you know, I, last night was uh, the comeback of uh, Devon Alexander. Uh, he, uh, uh, I'll give you the results on that. And and another thing I got going on um, is, uh, you know, listen, I we've been talking a lot about Anthony Joshua. There's no question about it. I mean, I, I can't remember... When um, I personally and and most people I talk to were as, were as excited or are as excited about boxing and the heavyweight division as I am right now, and most of it is due because of Anthony Joshua, and we also have a couple of potential dance partners with Anthony Joshua, 
to keep the uh, heavyweight division going strong. One, obviously, is Deontay Wilder, undefeated uh, heavyweight, 39-0 and 0 with 39, uh, 38 knockouts. You know, everybody wants to see that. But the other guy in the mix, the other guy that's holding a belt is Joseph Parker. And Joseph Parker seems to be missing the whole point. Joining me right now from St. Simons, chipper and as cheery as ever, is my man, Sal Rocky Senicola. Good morning, Sal. Hey, good morning, Billy C. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing okay. You know, you know what I was thinking about all, all night? You know what, I think? Now, what were you thinking about all night? Breakfast pizzas. That's what I was thinking about all night. You know, you're, you're killing me. I, I'm telling you right now. Next time I come down there, if you don't make me a breakfast pizza at Sal's, uh, that's it. You're dead to me. I, that's that's the way it's going to be. Because, you know, you had me thinking. I'm going, should I try it? Nah, I better I better wait to see Sal do it before I try it. But, uh, man, that sounded good last night when you were talking about that. I promise you, you're going to love it. It's going to be a nice pizza. It's unbelievable. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna be thinking about it, buddy. I'll tell you. I talked about that. I even I even I, I don't know why I chimed in. You know, we had uh, we had a lot of great people, great guests, great friends coming in last night. Every night at Sal's is, is an experience. I'll tell you. We just you never know what's gonna happen. I made last night an announcement. I go, hey guys, I think we're gonna try a turkey pizza. What do you think about that? I'll get turkey meat put on top of the cheese, and I put some cranberries on the side of there too. <laughs> you know, so uh, you know. We have a good time, though. And uh, I talked to Tim from the Sea Pumps. He's all excited. I told him what we're thinking about for possibly January, and he's all in uh, in line with that. Well, that's cool. Yeah, like I told you last night, for some reason, that turkey pizza just doesn't. But then again, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of these guys that, um, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of chicken on pizza. You know, and a lot of people like that. Um, you know, like spicy chicken. What, what do they call? What, what do they call that? Oh, buffalo chicken. Yeah, buffalo chicken pizza. I'm I'm not a big fan of that. But uh, I I'm not a big fan of you know. I, that's it. It's, you know, I'm not that big of a fan of the buffalo stuff. Buffalo chicken this, buffalo chicken that. I'm also not a big fan of smoked stuff. Smoked turkey this and that. I like uh, I like the real grill taste or uh, whatever it might be. But I'm, I'm not the same. Smoking. I'm not a. I'm the same as you. I I, I well I like <laughs> I, you, I like buffalo chicken, but just not on a pizza. But I don't like anything smoked. Like I don't like don't I don't like smoked cheese. You know, anytime I go to a restaurant and they say, "Oh, you know, topped with smoked whatever," I'm like, eh, "I don't want it." Smoked you know, breed or something. Forget about yeah, it. You know, yeah. my, my my Italian uh, internals don't really appreciate it. No, I, I <laughs> smoked smoked mozzarella. Eh, not the same eh, for me. But uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I, I wanted to talk to you about. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about Anthony Joshua and, yes, you know, the potential dance partners. Obviously, we all want to see him fight Deontay Wilder. Uh, and, you know, the, the next guys in the heavyweight division, um, you know, that don't have a belt, uh, Luis Ortiz, Alexander Povetkin, uh, are, uh, are two, ta two names that uh, come to mind. If Tyson Fury comes back, there's another name. Um, but the guy who has the other belt to just round off all the top belts in the division is Joseph Parker. And I think that Team Parker is missing the point here uh, 100%. Um, Parker's team, uh, we were talking about this yesterday, Parker's team was, was you know, uh, saying, or maybe the day before, saying, uh, you know, oh, they offer this and that, oh, they got to do this if they want us. And, and the bottom line is, you know... I, 
Anthony Joshua's in the driver's seat here, 100%. Uh, you know, uh, Joseph Parker really uh, should take what he gets, and that's the end of that. And I honestly feel that way. I don't know what J Dax was drinking before the show the other day when he suggested that uh, Joseph Parker had a tougher resume uh, uh, than uh, uh, both uh, Deontay Wilder and um, Anthony Joshua. I, I find that pretty comical. But uh, aside from that, Joseph Parker's team uh, reached out to Team Anthony Joshua and said, we're making you the final offer. We will take, remember they said they would take nothing less than 50%. Then they said, well, we'll take nothing less than 40%. And then yesterday they said, we'll take nothing less than 35%. Now, they've clarified that they're looking to get 35% of the net profits of the, uh, of the entire event. And uh, uh, I find this comical, Sal, because they don't bring anything to the table. Uh, in my opinion, at all. They bring nothing to the table except the belt that really is worthless. Uh, and and I don't understand why uh, Team Parker just doesn't shut the F up and accept or negotiate a, a, a fixed amount, whether it be X amount, a million or whatever, you know, four, eight million, whatever they, they want. Um, but what's your thoughts on them coming out making a final offer? I mean, what other options do they have? Well, you know, I, I learned a long time ago when, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you a story one time off air. But uh, the bottom line is, as you and I know, in the world of mathematics, 30 percent of nothing is better. It's not it's not as good as as 25 percent of something. And, you know, the guy the guy should realize, guess what? Anthony Joshua is in the driver's seat and Parker I don't want to say he's a non-entity. He just doesn't <clears throat> stimulate or draw enough of the the power to demand uh, what a purse should be or what a cut should be. I think he should be humble and grateful that Anthony Joshua would give him the opportunity to fight and uh, have the kind of purse that he's going to be offered because he will never get that kind of purse or that kind of money ever again in his life. So, yeah, I think he should take the quiet, humble route. Like, you know, let me uh, let me think about this, and uh, we'll get back to you. Uh, sounds good to me now. Kind of approach. You know, the, the the funny thing is, is usually when you have like like for example, Deontay Wilder has some bargaining power. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I don't think he has a hell of a lot because he's virtually unknown in outside of the United States. But he brings some intriguing things. You know, he's a big guy. He's a power puncher. He's undefeated. He's only uh, 39 fights, 38 knockouts. Uh, he's loud. He's brash. He, he talks a lot of smack. Uh, you know, it's it's seemingly the guy we want to see. I mean, so so, you know, he brings something to the table in my opinion but joseph parker he's to me is the odd man out he's virtually unknown outside of the land down under uh his resume uh you know i know dax seems to think it's it's a tough one but uh and and he mentioned andy ruiz andy ruiz is a good fighter but many people think andy ruiz got robbed in that fight so joseph parker got a gift decision in that but the truth of the matter is is what is Parker bringing? He's virtually unknown uh, here in the States. And, and not only that, he carries a belt that is the least valuable of all belts. 
you know, at least Deontay Wilder has the WBC belt. So I agree with you. If I'm Team Joseph Parker, I take a, I I try to negotiate X amount of money, whether it's four or five million, whatever. Uh, X, uh, you know, uh, negotiate that. This this whole uh, BS. We want thirty five percent of the net profit. Um, you know, that's BS because we all know that Anthony Josh was a huge draw in England. The guy made 20, over 20 million, cleared over 20 million for fighting Carlos to come, you know, so he doesn't need, uh, Joseph Parker. He doesn't even need Deontay Wilder. People will keep spending money to go see AJ. And, uh, if I'm Joseph Parker, just like you said, the opportunity to fight him, even if he, if he, listen, all Joseph Parker has to do against Anthony Joshua is perform well, and his stock goes up. What's your thoughts? Billy, I can't agree with you anymore. I mean, any further. That's, you said it in a nutshell. I mean, Parker should come in as a humble, grateful guy saying, hey, look, I'm grateful to get this unification bout that we can talk about, and, uh, you know, I'm going to make at least $5 million, and I'll never get that anywhere else, or $10 million, whatever it might be. Uh, and I just shut up and tell you, hey, guess what? By the way, I'm going to beat your butt in the ring, and I'm going to grab all the belts. Uh, that should be Parker on his agenda and on, in his mind, uh, even though I think it's going to be far from reality. But uh, the bottom line is you uh, said it again and again. Anthony Joshua is the driver in all the – the title belts as far as the heavyweight division he's the draw he's what people want to come see and you know what i'll tell you what with what they do in england this guy's a national treasure and uh that's why he has the support and the drive and the 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 bargaining chips on his side because i'll tell you what nobody not deontay wilder nor joseph parker or any other contender will ever make the kind of money that they can if they get an opportunity to fight Anthony Joshua for the championship of the world. So I think they're all uh, going to be humble enough to say, hey, you know what, look at the reality of the situation. Yes, we'll dance, let's go, let's try and do this. Uh, I'll be satisfied with that. I mean, if they really want to fight, that's what they do. Then they let their fists do the talk, and they knock out Joshua in the middle of the ring, and then they rise their stock, or even look good. They even laugh. They do something. And guess what? They can have a rematch. They can have a, a, a purse, or their stock goes up for future bouts. Exactly. You know, I mean, uh, that's what it is. You know, the bottom line is, you know, I think uh, that Parker, the Joseph Parker camp, is being very foolish, and, and they're looking stupider and stupider all along the way. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, first of all, any businessman knows. That you don't start showing your hand and start, you know, lowering your your bid no, so quickly. No. You know, in one no. week he goes from fifty. That's absolute our lowest to forty. Uh, no, no. Actually, did we say forty was our lowest? No, no. Thirty five is our lowest. You know, and it's like it's a it's an auction. Uh, what do you take? Twenty percent, twenty percent, five percent. We'll take one percent. I'll tell you what. We'll fight him for free. You know, I mean, come on. You know, uh, take the five. You know, push for X amount of money. I would shoot for five million. Fight him for five million and shut the f up, right? Look, look, that, that's it, Bill. Look good, you know. I I had an attorney that I think back twenty years ago was charging me uh, five hundred dollars an hour. This guy, but he was great. I'll tell you what, he paid for an education, my education. I paid for it, uh, and he he would often he would often say, Sal, it's always better to deal from the side of strength. And you know what, <laughs> Parker's not dealing from the side of strength. He's dealing from the side of hey. Please, let's look at this. You know, and uh, 
Joshua's dealing from the side of strength. So you are correct, Amundo. Um, you know, these guys should be fortunate enough to, to take what they can get. It's going to be the biggest purse of their life right now and uh, thus far. And they should uh, get in the ring and let their fists do the talk. If they think they could dance with Anthony Joshua, then let's see what happens. Exactly. And, uh, and then their stock will go up. No, you're right. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we got more on that. I got the results from Devon Alexander's return and then some. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, I wanted to get you guys caught up. Uh, Devon Alexander, who uh, I guess, you know, I, I, I really, I feel like an idiot. I didn't, I didn't know this. But apparently, according to um, him, he was battling a uh, drug addiction uh, the last two years I thought he just took some time off, but apparently he was battling a, a drug addiction, beat it, and made his return to the ring yesterday, uh, and it was a successful one. He improved to 27-4 and four with 14 knockouts when he won a 10-round decision over Walter Castillo, who dropped to 26-5 and five with a draw. The way the judges scored it, two of them had it a shutout, 100-89, to 89, and one had it 96-93. Uh, at the end of the fight, uh, Devon Alexander said, uh, this felt really good. I've been on a journey that I didn't expect to go through, and I'm thankful to be back in the ring and have my career back. Uh, I love doing what I do. This is what I was born to do since I was seven years old. I'm thankful to be back doing what I love. I'm going to talk to my coach and my team and see what we can come up with next. I'm ready to fight anybody out there. I don't have any cuts, so I'm ready. Uh, I'm on a journey, and I'm thankful to be here. Um, Sal, uh, it sounds like he's thankful. I mean, he said it 5,000 times. But, uh, you know, I, I, again, he, the guy was off for two years. He fought a tough uh, opponent in Castillo. He won a decision. Um, is he sincere? Uh, do you think that, I mean, this was a, a fighter at one time that was, you know, in the tops uh, of the division uh, or at least uh, in the junior welterweight division. He did move up and had some success in the welterweight division What he's campaigning now. Um, but uh, but does he need a couple of more fights? I mean, does it sound like he's looking to get a big payday? I mean, well, how, what do you, how are you reading into this? I think he uh, hit dirt bottom, and uh, he realized, you know, he's been blessed with some uh, attributes that he can maximize and have some notoriety and make a living. And uh, I think after you hit dirt bottom, you, you, you have a chance to map out your direction and I think he's been humbled, and hopefully he's on the right track. And I'll tell you what, after two years off, uh, going in against a, a formidable opponent and going 10 rounds, 
that does say a lot. I mean, he's had to work to that, and he's had to work to get it back. So, you know, I wish him the best, and I'm going to say that uh, I hope he's sincere in his heart of hearts and that he's back to try and, um, and negate any of the negative that he's had to win and conquer and those demons and put them to rest. And let's see him get back on track and uh, let him get in the mix and let him uh, fight maybe one or two more times before he can get a title shot or back in the rankings. Who's, who knows? Well, unfortunately for him, he's he's in a really tough division. He's in a, in a tough in, division, in, man. In the welterweight division. And speaking of the welterweight division, a guy that uh, many people think is going to end up running uh, the uh, welterweight division is uh, Errol Spence. And Errol Spence Jr., here's, here's his first big test as far as I'm concerned. He is a title holder. Um, he's undefeated. A lot of us, including both you and myself, feel very... Uh, high on this. We're very high on uh, uh, Errol Spence. His next fight is uh, in January from Brooklyn. He's fighting at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Uh, it'll be broadcast on Showtime. And he's taking on Lamont, you dummy, Peterson, um, <laughs> who's a, a, a very underrated fighter, in my opinion. Um, you know, he's a lot better than people give him credit for. For some reason, uh, people have turned against him. Uh, but uh, but but here's here's my thing. The question, we all know that we, we love Errol Spence. We all see that he possesses the talent. But you know what he needs to prove, Sal? He needs to prove that he's a draw. Tickets went on sale uh, for the Barclays Center yesterday. And it's going to be interesting to see how many people will buy tickets to see this guy live. Lamont Peterson has uh, a weird uh, following. People don't really think much of him. And uh, Errol Spence, I'm wondering how many um, casual boxing fans know who he is and how he's going to do with tickets. What's your thoughts on this? I think you're right. The casual boxing fan really or fans do not really know Errol Spence. He's not had the chance to be showcased or up close and personable or personal as uh, we would like to see. But I will tell you this, Errol Spence's talents and fists do the talking in the ring. And uh, I think he's got the ability and talents we haven't seen thus far. And uh, I'm very high on Errol Spence. And I think he could be very, very dominant in the welterweight division. And uh, I think he could dance with any one of the top champs of the welterweight division and look good, draw good. But I think his marketing, his camp, his notoriety, I think they got to push that. And I think they got to let the map and let the world know who Errol Spence is. And uh, I don't know how they can get that word out, but I'll tell you, this guy deserves it. And I think uh, he needs some campaign to try and get his name and, and recognition out there so he can draw a good gate. I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do this uh, without any campaign or, uh, thus far, what his drawing power is. Because I, I don't think it's all that much, but uh, I think he's got himself a uh, position that if, if he can get the people behind him to make him a household name, then uh, I hope and I wish him the best because I like to see this guy really flourish and do very well. You know, the thing is, is that you talk to a, a, a diehard boxing fan or at least one that's following the sport on a regular basis, and of course they know who Errol Spence Jr. is. Um, but, you know, for, for fight fans that wait for the big fight and maybe buy a ticket if they live in the New York City area and they want to go to a live event because, like we say all the time, there's nothing better than a live boxing event. Um you know, it's going to be, I agree, it's going to be interesting to see how he draws. You know, uh, uh, most of the time, uh, uh, you know, the fighters that draw, especially in New York, 
or any other place, you know, ha- have a name, have a following. Uh, they, you know, they're local to, to, a, to a degree. He's not any of that going into Barclays. So it's going to be interesting to see. He did have a quote uh, yesterday. He said, my goal is to unify the welterweight division in 2018, but this fight is a true test. And Lamont Peterson is a veteran that I definitely won't overlook. I've sparred him in the amateurs, and I know what he brings to the table. I have to get through him to achieve my goals, and that is what I plan on doing on January 20th. Lamont Peterson says, uh, I'm happy to be getting back in the ring. I've stayed in the gym, and I'm ready to go. This is a fight I've wanted, and I said before, when I became a welterweight, I want to fight the best and make the fights that people want to see. Uh, I'm ready to give it, a, give it my all and give the fans a great show. You know, Lamont Peterson is better than that quote. Um, it, it already seems like that quote is, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try my hardest. You know you, you know how I feel about that, Sal? I mean, boxing is 90% mental, and, it, and, and Lamont Peterson's a quality fighter. I, you know, he should be going in there saying that he's going to win. But I, listen, they both have something to prove. What's your quick thoughts? I think you're right, and I think Lamont Peterson maybe he's taking a quiet, humble approach and uh, and uh, doesn't want to you know rat off too much of his mouth and uh, uh, and upset uh, Errol Spence. And uh, I think you know if he's capable, I think it is hard of hearts. Anybody's got to step in the ring uh, on that level and feel that they're capable of beating their opponent. Uh, and you know the reality sets in once those rounds tick by and and you find yourself on one way of the scale or the other. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, I'm sure his confidence and his level of, of commitment is uh, higher than where uh, his statements may be. And for whatever reason, he's being humble and dry about it right now. But uh, hopefully in the ring, we're going to see a tiger come out of the tank. I don't know if that was a good analogy. But uh, and uh, but uh, but I'm, I'm high on Errol Spence. I don't think there's many welterweights that could beat Errol Spence today. Yeah, um, not and and obviously the fight in that division everybody wants to see is Errol Spence against Keith Thurman. Uh, Keith Thurman seems to be not wanting any piece of uh, Errol Spence. It's funny, <laughs> you know, when Errol Spence and Keith Thurman are on the same, uh, you know, uh, broadcast where they're both guests and they're sitting at a, a, a table together. Keith Thurman seems very uneasy with Errol Spence, and Errol Spence seems to pick it up and is very yeah. calm, cool, and collective. Um, that is a fight I'd like to see, but with all due respect uh, to Errol Spence, Keith Thurman has a much more solid uh, resume as a pro than Errol Spence. Errol Spence does have a lot to prove at this point, and I think the fight with Lamont Peterson will show us uh, exactly where uh, uh, he fits, in my opinion. What do you think? I agree with you 100%, Billy C. I'm telling you right now, you couldn't have said it better. You know, Keith Thurman is the king of the welterweights right now in a lot of people's minds. And uh, and I think he deservingly so. I mean, he takes on all comers. He's a gamer. He fights hard. He, he has a heart. And uh, I, uh, I think Keith Thurman is one of the top out there. Uh, I think Errol Spence though is is uh is going to be staged uh for 2018 and leverage that we're going to get a real good glimpse of the true champion that errol spence could be is and should be because I, I think he's got a lot of talent that we've not spence and you know what i if i was errol spence i'd want to unify and i want to get in the ring with keith thurman and i think errol spence would like that fight more than keith thurman does um, we're going to take a short break. Sal's going to be uh, kicked to the curb uh, for a little aye, bit. Uh, aye, we are uh, going to be uh, we're scheduled to have Larry Hazard come on. Uh, so, Sal, hang tight. We do have some emails 
that I wanted to read, and hopefully we will get to them today. So if you have an email uh, that you sent uh, to us yesterday, and I don't get it today, um, I just want you to know that we will read all that we don't get to today on the next show, which is on Monday. We are off tomorrow for Thanksgiving and uh, on Friday. So uh, FYI, if you took the time to email us, uh, we will uh, do that. Sal, we'll talk to you later. I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, we're scheduled to have uh, Larry Hazard join us. So don't go nowhere. Billy C will be right back. Hey, fight fans. Check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.kofantasyboxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters. Track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man. www.kofantasyboxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.kofantasyboxing.com. And tell them Billy C sent you. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now, or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, I just want to give a, a shout out. Uh, my man, uh, Randy Gordon, used to be a uh, commissioner for uh, New York State uh, Boxing uh, Commission. And uh, he's currently uh, working with my friend Jerry Cooney. They do a, a radio show uh, on Cirrus. And um, he's involved with a heavyweight fighter that made his pro debut yesterday. And I want to congratulate uh, uh, my man Randy uh, and his fighter, Mike Coffey, for making his pro debut and uh, picking up a first-round knockout. So uh, keep an eye on Mike Coffey in the heavyweight division. Joining us right now, speaking of commissioners, uh, and uh, a guy that uh, Randy just said was the best referee ever, my man uh, Larry Hazard. Good morning, Larry. Hey, Billy. How you doing? Not too Happy bad. Thanksgiving. Happy, Happy thanks- Thanksgiving to you and your family. Same to you, my friend. Same to you. And uh, you know, being Italian, we start we start fasting. You know, I started fasting. You know, last week because you know we're we're a bunch of pigs. You know, we start eating uh, as soon as the the crows wake up tomorrow morning, and the and the uh, you know the roosters are crowing. We're, uh, we're we're we start stuffing our faces. You know, and uh, uh, so uh, we're ready to roll here, but. Uh, um, I, I appreciate that, and I hope uh, I wish you guys the best to your family and uh, friends and everybody you're going to be spending your Thanksgiving with. Um, you know, Larry, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, before I get into some topics that we've been talking about this week, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, some fights from last weekend. Um, first and foremost, you know, a former uh, uh, champion, world champion, Carl Frampton, who had a, a couple of uh, really good entertaining fights with Leo Santa Cruz, uh, came back and beat uh, Horatio Garcia uh, in Ireland. Uh, he struggled a bit um, in that fight. Uh, and and I, many people are thinking that he's not going to get back to that level uh, when he faced uh, uh, Leo Santa Cruz. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think that... Uh, uh, he's going to be able to do it or what? 
Well, if they, you know, it, it's hard to say nowadays, Billy, with these, with these fighters. You know, um, look at, look at the high hopes we had for Chocolatito, and look what happened to him. You know, it goes both ways. I mean, you can have a guy who's riding high, and all of a sudden he goes all the way to the bottom, and you can have a guy who, who has a setback, and he can come back, and, um, you know go above and beyond uh, even the levels that we would have expected. I think he has an opportunity, and I think that there's a possibility that he can. It all depends on how they move him, who they put him against, you know, who, with the opposition. And if they bring him back slow enough but not too slow, um, I think that he could get back. You know, so, you know, it's always a, a toss-up with these fighters today. But I think that he has a... Uh, a good opportunity and a, a good chance of of reclaiming some of that old glory that he once had. So I'm always uh, positive in that respect. Uh, it just yeah. depends on how they move him, how they bring him back. Don't bring him back too fast, you know. I, you know, I, I think that you know his fans have been a little hard on him, you know, but uh, you know it's yeah. hard. It's hard to go from being you know, uh, top fighter in a sense, uh, champion to, to trying to climb back up the ladder. And, you know, mentally, uh, a lot of people that never fought before don't understand the mental part. You know, you're, you're not only fighting a guy in the ring in front of you, but you're also fighting the mental questions that you've created for yourself. Am I that yourself. good? You yeah. know, uh, what yeah. happened? You know, I thought I was better than that. You know, uh, am I going to falter here? If I lose this one, I'm all, it's over. I mean, all of this is going through their head, whether they tell you it is or not. I mean, that's a fact, right? Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, what's important is that they don't throw him. See, a lot of times the expectation level is a little bit too high. You know, bring him back to mid-range. Don't throw him, don't throw him too fast up to that top level. Because you see what happens. What makes the fans hard on him is that the fans are living in the past. You know, they expect to see uh, the same fighter that they, you know, saw and had hope for, in, you know, before, before he lost, before he started to descend. So, you know, they have to be a little bit more patient. They have to understand, uh, like what you said, that he's not only fighting uh, the opponent, he's also fighting himself. So he's fighting actually two opponents coming back. One is in his head and the other is right in front of him each time he gets in the ring. So, you know, you have to give him these uh, confidence builder fights. You know, you have to, you know, constantly be um, programming him outside of the ring in a positive way that he can uh, uh, get back there. And then you have to hope for the best and see what happens. See, So I, I think that, um, you know, it's all in the engineering of how they bring him back. But I do think that uh, Frampton is the type of fighter that does have that potential, and I think that he can make it back. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, and and the guy you're fighting in your head is always the toughest of all. I'll tell you that. But absolutely, uh, um, absolutely. One, one other fight I just wanted to ask you about that took place over the weekend, and and you know, it's really about the fighter, not the fight. But uh, Tomas Adamak, I know he fought in Jersey a bunch of times. Um, bunch of times. You know, I mean, this guy was a light heavyweight champion, and um, you know, uh, tried to become a, a heavyweight champ. And personally, I think that, you know, he's seen better days. Uh, and he fought 
who they bill as big Fred Cassie, who's not that big. I mean, for a heavyweight, he's just not that big compared to the, these monsters who are in the division. And uh, for all intent purposes, he, he kind of struggled with that. I know he's a big drawer in Poland. But don't you think somebody should be telling Tomas Adamak it's time to, to hang him up? I mean, you would have to assume that, you know, he's financially secure. I mean, the guy was in some big fights. You would have to assume. I mean, I don't know for a fact. Uh, but, um, you know, I, it's hard for these guys to say it's over mentally. Um, but don't you think it's time for Adamak? Oh, I, I, I thought it was time for Adamak. Uh, I went to Poland, and I saw him against uh, the other um, big name Andrew Galata. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. I thought I, I thought uh, I was there in Poland. Oh, thousands of people came out to see both of them. And at that time, Adamac was still, you know, kind of riding the wave. But at that point, um, I thought that he had seen his better days. He struggled against Galata. Uh, I happen to think that Adamac has seen his better days. I think that if there is a if there is a signature fighter for Kathy Duva and main event, the job that they did with Adamac, I think, is is uh, a lot to their credit. They they got him um, to the level, the greatest level in accordance with his abilities. I think that uh, they made him some nice paydays. He got some you know, uh, nice uh, visibility. People got to know who he was. He fought in Jersey quite a bit, especially at the Prudential Center. He had a great following uh, there. And um, I think they took him as far as he could go. And they, they could, you know, they could be pleased with what they did with him. But I think it's time for him to hang him up, you know. And he, like uh, many fighters, you know, it takes a long time for them to see that picture. But I just hope that he doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't get hurt or get seriously injured, uh, you know, um, along the way. But I think it's time for somebody to tell him, look, you've had your better days. He's got a family. He's got a kid now. And um, hopefully he's financially secure. He should be. And, um, you know, hang him up. You know, if you want to stay in the game, you know, go find you a nice a young kid, a prospect, maybe become a trainer or an advisor or something of that nature. There are other aspects to the sport other than climbing through there as a competitor. And I think that some of these guys, like Adam Mack, should explore some of those avenues. So I'm like you. I agree. I think he's, I think he's had it, and he should hang him up. Yeah, you know, I, and you just said something uh... – that's so true. Uh, this is the problem with the sport today. Mo most fighters, and, and, and it's a catch-22 because I can't fault them, but most fighters make their money, they cash out, and they ride off into the sunset. And the problem with that for the sport, not for their own you know, uh, personal reasons, which, I, again, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize because you know, if you could be financially set and go live your life, and, and even if it's you know, incognito, so to speak, I have no problem with that. But years gone by, that's exactly the path most fighters took. They would, uh, you know, fight their career and then stay in the sport. And that's what the sport really needs. You need these kinds of guys that um, have been in the trenches and know the sport, the good and the bad of the sport, and try to, you know, bring up uh, someone else 
and, and, and try to steer them away from the pitfalls and, and, you know, do the positive thing. And the success will come. You still get that juice. You still get that, that feeling of being involved in the sport. You know, and that's what we need. What we have too much of is these guys that are rah-rah men. We've talked about that many times. And unfortunately, all they need to do is pay the, the seconds fee and poof, they're a trainer. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I have a problem with that. And so I, I agree with you uh, 100%. Hey, not to sound sexist or anything. I know some people are going to criticize me. But I'll tell you something. Watching Adamac in Jersey, because we got to see a lot of those uh, fights, especially like you mentioned at the Potential Center, um, on TV, I never realized, and, and and I don't want I don't want to, I don't want people to beat me up too much in this, but I got to be honest with you, Larry. I never realized how good looking those Polish women are because they came out in droves for him. I I never I, I was like, oh my god, you know, I always pictured you know Polish women not looking quite the way they do these days. That's for sure. I, I just had to throw that in because uh, that's one thing I, I I just when I watched him fight, and especially in Jersey because that's where I saw most of his fights. Um, Oh man, I was like, oh, what a crowd! What a crowd! I wish I was there, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know. But uh, anyway, I, I want to talk about. We've been talking a lot about Anthony Joshua, and Anthony Joshua is, in my opinion, the best heavyweight. And we have some dance partners uh, for him that we all want to see. And the the guy that comes to uh, you know comes to everyone's lips first is, of course, Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder brings something to the table he's not as popular as aj outside the u.s but um you know deontay has uh, 39 and 0 38 knockouts he's powerful he's loud he's boisterous he's people know he's in the room when he's in the room uh he uh, says a lot of things and he has the wbc belt which uh many regard as uh you know one of the top uh, belts to have um so aside from that fight and we all know that it's going to happen eventually um the other guy that has uh, the last belt that uh, AJ does not have is Joseph Parker. And Joseph Parker's team has been trying to use the media to, you know, to, 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 to get this fight, to land a fight with, with Anthony Joshua next. And they come out uh, early in the week and they said, we got an offer, of, uh, you know, allegedly got an offer from AJ's team. And it's a, a disgrace. It's the worst offer ever uh, in, in the sport of boxing. And then they come back and they say, well... You know, uh, we were looking for a 50-50 split. And I'm saying to myself, 50-50 split of what? You know, and they said, we're not going to accept a penny less, right? Then they come out the next day. Well, we, we decided we would take 40%, uh, but not a penny less. And yesterday they came out and said, of course, uh, they'll take 35%. You know, and, and, and I'm saying to myself, first of all, you know, and they, they define that they want a 35% split of the gross net profits. Now, this is a guy, AJ, who can make $20 million fighting Carlos Takam in England. You know, I, I mean, why would they want to split that? My, my question to you, Larry, is Joseph Parker is virtually unknown outside of the land down under. Um, and I'm talking in Europe and, and here in the States and everything. Don't you think his camp should focus on a fixed amount, whether it be $3 million, $5 million, $10 million, whatever, and, and try to negotiate that? Otherwise, quite honestly... AJ doesn't need Joseph Parker. AJ, AJ could fight me or you and make $20 million. What, what does he need Joseph Parker for? What's your thoughts? Well, that's the problem. See, that's the problem uh, for a lot of these guys that really don't understand the business in, of, of the sport. And the guys who are, are making these demands, who, his trainer, him, or some other, 
some other guy uh, that's a, hanging around the gym. This is making him think that he's bigger than he, uh, he is. And just like you said, you know, if a good businessman would tell him, look, look, everything that you're saying, Billy, this guy really doesn't need us, okay? So, you, you know, you're making these big demands. You're asking for this enormous split. They would be nuts to give it to us. Why don't we just focus on trying to get a fixed amount of money, you know, that we could be satisfied with, even to the extent that this would possibly make him uh, financially secure. You know, you're talking about Joshua fighting where you have 70, 80, 90,000 people in the arena, millions of dollars, okay, that's going to come in from that. So, you know, instead of, instead of them being smart and saying, hey, look, let's just tell this guy, you know, we, we want 15 or 20 million or 10, 15 million, and we'll be satisfied and we'll get the fight and hopefully we can win the title and it's done, okay? No, they're going to they're gonna use these um, neophytes who's going to be out there with the big mouths, we want this, we uh, we won't settle for less than this and that, and they're going to end up getting nothing, okay? Because Joshua doesn't need—he really doesn't need Parker or any of those. Other. The only one that Joshua, in my opinion, and and I use the word need in quotes, okay, in terms of a fight, is Deontay is Deontay Wilder. That's the only one who could actually, in my legitimately come in and make demands. There's no other heavyweights out there that could do that. Nope. You know. Nope. So what these guys need to do, uh specifically Parker, he needs to keep he needs to have some of these guys who are running their mouths, you know, de- making these demands, just simply shut up, okay, let's go, let's see if we could get hey, if we can get twenty million, if we can get ten million, I'll fight them. Okay, They're not gonna we'll get walk that away. They're not even gonna and, get and, that. and I feel like I beat it. They're, yeah, they're, but they're not even going to get that. L- listen, D- Joseph so that, Parker. That's the way I see that. No, no, I, I agree with you. Jo- Joseph Parker, really, the only thing that he could do that would be a wise business move is if he did something similar to as Billy Joe Saunders did. Now, remember, Billy Joe Saunders in the middleweight division has the same strap. He's got the WBO title, yeah. um, and yeah. nobody cares about him. And everybody's talking Triple G. Everybody's talking Danny Jacobs. Everybody's talking Canelo. You got all these other dance partners. Now, finally, you get a rematch with Canelo and Triple G. The only value for Billy Joe Saunders at that point is to fight the winner. Because if they want all the belts, he's the last guy. There he creates value. Now, I, I applaud Billy Joe Saunders for fighting David Lemieux in between. You know, So he's getting a payday there, and he'll be in a much better driver's seat. That's what uh, Joseph Parker needs to do. He needs to go and get another one of those names, the, the Luis Ortiz or, or Dillian White or, or somebody that's that's on the cusp, you know, Pavetkin, somebody like that, and get a win, and then he's got some bargaining chip, or just wait until the winner of Deontay Wilder and AJ rises, and then that fighter is going to want that last belt, you know? And and it, it, as far as Deontay is concerned, they were offered, just, just so you know the money, 
allegedly, they were offered $7 million plus all the U.S. television rights. And so far, they've turned it down, which I think is foolish because the most – um, Deontay hasn't made $2 million yet. You know, so, I, I mean, that's a, a – you know, to go fight in England. That's a big uh, money fight for, for Deontay, and he's in a win-win situation. Even, you know, that's the other part of this scenario, Larry. Both of these guys – you know, any of these heavyweights goes and fights each other and loses – that's not the end of the world. I mean, I, all they got to do is fight one or two more fights, and they're back for a rematch. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't get why they, the you, the sport is making it like it's a, uh, you know, winner take all, and that's the end of your career type of a thing. And that that's a problem in itself, don't you think? Well, we've been talk, we've been talking about that for for how long, Billy? Right. You know right. this this whole, um, you know, if I lose one syndrome, my career is over. You know, it's hard to dispel that. You know, that's still very prominent in our sport. That's why, you know, finally we got, I would say, you know, uh, we made some progress in that area because at one point we weren't seeing any real quality fights take place. So, you know, the demand for the best fighting the best, you know, seems to have grown and seems to have made an impact. You know, so these guys are willing now to go out and fight the best fighter and perhaps gamble with a loss, not feeling, especially if they put in a good performance, that they come back. You know, um, look at look at a, a kid like Sean Porter who goes in and fights. He's still there. He's still there. Lou, win or lose, he's still there. He fights the top guy. He loses. He still comes right back. A few fights later, he's right back. You know, see, and see, until that catches hold and that's you know that's old school uh boxing you know and here I, here I go again going back decades this is the way it was this is what made the sport of boxing this is how we got to know the names of a lot of these guys not because they won every fight but because they fought everybody and they performed well and they came right back right you know and their names became household items. It didn't decrease their value. It increased their value. Exactly. And that's the same thing that we need to see happen here, you know, in modern-day boxing. And I don't think, it, I, I think, I think in, in, in yesteryear boxing, the fighters, although they did it for a living, I mean, it was a trade, uh, you know, I, I know money was important, but they also had the desire... To be a historic, to, to find a place in history, you know, in a historical <laughs> fight. And, and they valued that. And it seems today that that part of the equation isn't in it. Because in order to be great, you need to dance. We say this all the time. Uh, Muhammad Ali, you know, would he have been as great as we look at him if he didn't have Joe Frazier, Kenny Norton, George Foreman, et cetera, et cetera? I have you know? no doubt that he would not have. Exactly. No doubt. Because- because those are the chances that the fighters get to perform that go down in, in everybody's memory and lives forever. You know, so uh, uh, I don't know. One last thing I want to ask you. Um, uh, Errol Spence, a, a lot of us feel that Errol Spence is the future of the welterweight division. And, and it's a tough division. There's no question about it. Um, you know, as far as showdowns, a lot of people talking about Errol Spence uh, and uh, Keith Thurman eventually. But the truth of the matter is, is Keith Thurman has been around a little longer. He's got a much more impressive resume as a professional. And uh, Errol Spence is, um, 
uh, a quality fighter. We all can see the talent that he possesses, but he really hasn't performed uh, in the ring with top-level opposition as of yet. Now, he steps in the ring in January, and he fights Lamont Peterson, who I think is grossly underrated uh, for whatever reason. My, my question to you is, he's fighting in Brooklyn, and Errol Spence is, and he's not from Brooklyn, and it is on uh, Showtime, and the diehard boxing fans all know him. My, my, my question is, do you think he's going to do well with ticket sales? And how important will that fight be to Errol Spence's future and his bargaining power um, if he doesn't draw well in that fight? What's your thoughts? Well, Peterson is not from Brooklyn either, you know. So, actually, you know, I have to agree with you that, that he's, there is a chance that it's going to perhaps impact on him if he doesn't draw well. But you know what's happening? The the, the Barclays Center is is actually the draw itself. You know, it's becoming the Barclays Center is establishing himself as a as a a trade, a name. You know, it's it seems like it's in competition or has been in competition with Madison Square Garden. So now you know, um, just as years ago, you know, a fighter's dream was to fight at the garden. You know, if you get to the garden, it was almost like you've made it in your career. Well, I see that, that model being used for the Barclays Center now. So um, I think that just for a fight to be taken place, a high-profile fight, to be taking place at the Barclays Center, okay, now uh, is, is, is getting to the point where you still, any fighter who fights there in a main event will probably draw well. Not so much because of who he is, but more because of where he is fighting. That seems to be the, the, the uh, direction, for lack of a better a way of putting it, uh, for fighters fighting at the Barclays Center now. It's like fighting at Caesars Palace uh, in, in Las Vegas. You know, you draw well because that's where you're fighting. I think that that's becoming more and more an element now in, in, in these bouts that are taking place there. Errol Spence is a well-known fighter, okay? He, that that we, can't, we can't argue. Um and I think that to bring him to Brooklyn, to the Barclays Center, um, I think it's going to help his career now. You know, I, I think that will help him. And I think he, he will still draw decent there. Maybe he, he certainly won't draw uh, like a Daniel Jacobs or some of the local guys that, you, you know, that are from that area or from New York or nearby. But I think he will draw well just yeah. because of who he is. I think that's a great point uh, about uh, that you made about Barclays Center, and uh, um, I, I I agree. I, I think and and what that what that, what that what that actually does for boxing is for all those uh, fans that you know want to be part of the event and not knowing who the who the participants are. I mean, uh, you know, as far as uh, Peterson, I mean, he's from D.C., so, you know, you you wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, you know, people make that trek from uh, D.C. to to New York. 
But um, you know, I I agree with you that the the, the fans that just go to the events uh, will learn something. They'll be introduced uh, to Errol Spence. So yeah, I, I agree. That's a great point. And uh, honestly, I I didn't look at it that way. So uh, uh, I uh, I think that was a great point. But uh, Larry, I, I appreciate your time today as usual. And uh, uh, like we said in the beginning, I hope you and your family have a great uh, Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll, we got some fights this weekend, so uh, we'll have some stuff to talk about uh, next yeah. week, my man. Okay, Billy. All, all right, right, brother. You have a good one, all right? Okay. Thank you. All right. Take care. That's my man uh, Larry Hazard and uh, made a great point about the uh, Barclays Center. You know, uh, you know, it's, uh, that flew right over. Uh, you know, Larry, uh, he, that's, that's why we like him. He, he educates me, and I need that, you know, and uh, – uh, that's a great point that uh, that he made. You know, I, I was uh, stumbling and bumbling on the fact that uh, Errol Spence really isn't known. Uh, could he not draw? And uh, Larry made a great point that it's the venue that's doing the drawing. And he's right. I agree. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Alex Papali will be with us. And uh, we will be uh, doing our blast from the past. Tony the Tiger Lopez. So, uh don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two. Billy Z will be right back. Part of the Billy Z Boxing Network. Check out BillyZBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyZBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy Z. Z. Interact with the show at BillyZBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, it's that time again uh, for... Uh, the blast from the past and this week's blast from the past is being brought to us in part by kofantasyboxing.com check out the website www.kofantasyboxing.com sign up today and the title bout championship computer game you can download yourself a copy right now by visiting our website billycboxing.com and click it on the title bout championship computer game banner which is uh, on the right hand side and joining us to tell us all about this week's blast from the past, who was a request from one of our viewers and listeners, Tony to Tiger Lopez. Alex Papali's with us right now. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Billy C. How are you? Oh gosh, you sounded and looking spiffy today, man. It's uh, it looks good and sounds good, man. I like it. I like it. Got yeah. my reading glasses on. Oh, it happens to the best of us, my man. You know, <laughs> but uh, I, I I I can't do the bifocal thing. So Me I, you know I, I you know so I I have a pocket full of glass. I I actually have a weird thing going on with my eyes that I have a another script for when I'm looking at the computer. So I, I have a I have a pair of computer glasses, reading glasses, and glasses to see. If I really want to see. Other than that, I know what everything. I know whatever where, where everything's supposed to be. So you know, just shadows are good. You know, shadows. Do, are do they make uh, trifocals? I don't know, but bifocals. Uh, I think they do make trifocals, but uh, wow. the bifocals. There's a Rodney Dangerfield joke in there somewhere. I think. 
Well, that's a, isn't that a trisexual? <laughs> I'll try anything. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. but uh, you know, but uh, anyway, Tony, we better get to the topic. Tony the Tiger. <laughs> Nowadays, Lopez. yeah, who knows? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. But uh, Tony the Tiger Lopez, uh, former champion. Uh, this guy's an, an interesting guy, and we've had him on the show here a couple of times, and he's such a nice uh, uh, guy, and he's successful too. We'll get to later uh, after um, boxing. But uh, tell us about Tony the Tiger. Yeah, Tony the Tiger Lopez. This is a guy who um, uh, I guess there must have been a period where he must have gone to Canastota quite a bit maybe. Um, but um, I, I don't believe – I don't think I've seen him there uh, in the times I've been there. But, uh, you know, he is not in um, Canastota, but I do believe he is in the world – Boxing Hall of Fame out in uh, on the West Coast. Uh, Tony the Tiger Lopez, born in um, uh, Sacramento, uh, California, born May third, nineteen eighty three, and uh, that's where he was uh, became uh, you know Sacramento's favorite son, uh, capital California. I found a couple of decent articles about him. Uh, one really good piece in Ibro by uh, our friend, friend of the show, uh, Austin Colleen. And then another by um, uh, an interview uh, in the ring by Ryan Songalia, um, the best I've faced, which is an interesting take. They give um, uh, like the best puncher, or best boxer, or that kind of thing. Uh, so we'll get to that best chin, things like that. Um, but yeah, he uh, got into boxing largely because uh, his father was a former pro and his older brother, Sal, was into boxing. And then uh, Austin Colleen uh, talks about uh, how it, it sort of interrupted a street fight. He was um, planning to go fight this kid in the street when he was young and um, he uh, when he was just 10 and uh it just happened at, at that period, his older brother was on the way to the gym, uh, being driven by the trainer, um, Jerry Jacobs. And they said, you want, you're going to fight in the street. Why don't you come with us to the gym? And he did. And they, boom, uh, started up pretty soon. He got, he, he got in on a, uh, within a couple of months, he got in on a junior Olympics card, uh, when he filled in for a member of the team who was sick and he won his mat. Uh, he, Boxer of the night, and um, the the rest was history. He went. It's interesting because in one place I saw where uh, it said he had hundreds of amateur bouts, but uh, in the Killeen article he says his amateur record was forty seven and two. So maybe that was uh, maybe there was a lot of um, like. Uh, uh, uncounted uh, fights, something like that, because the other thing where he, he recounted himself in an interview that he says over hundreds of fights, but like I said, only 47 and two with his official bouts in his amateur record before turning pro. He was number fourth nationally, um, so definitely a talented uh, fighter, uh, but in terms of his pro style, he made for a really good pro uh, because he was a rough uh, banger. A slugger, even though you know he does talk about uh, his own defense. Uh, he had, you know, he well, uh, the way he represents his defense. It uh, he he thought it was very good. Uh, it's all about head movement, and um, he uh, you know was hard to hit, but he was definitely more of a, a slugger than a boxer. 
You know what? What uh, I've always uh, admired about uh, Tony Lopez is that he did what I always think fighters should do when they start out. I mean, he turned pro in 1983, and for the first five years of his career, if you look at his resume and you look at it carefully, he increased his level of opposition slowly but surely for five years. And then when you look at his career, uh, the meat of his career, really, from 1988 through 1992, the names that he fought um, were, you know, undeniable uh, where he fit in, in the sport during that time. I mean, the Rocky Lockridge's and John John Molina's and Tyrone Jackson was a, uh, a tough fighter and you know, uh, Joey Gamache's two fights with uh, Theo Bela or Jorge Paez, uh, my, uh, Brian Mitchell. I mean, and, and he fought most of these guys multiple times. Um, you could see, and, and like you said earlier, his style of fighting was so fan-friendly. And then he had the right dance partners to, to uh, you know, <laughs> to make it even better. Uh, you could see why so many people enjoyed watching him uh, live and, and, of course, uh, on TV because he was on TV quite a bit. Yeah, that was, um, you know, one of the big things that was, uh, you know, uh, I guess now with um, the PBC and stuff, and, and I guess, you know, in some ways, uh, or in um, realistically, you could have to say boxing is probably on TV more now than it's ever been. But uh, the world is different now. There's a lot more options for a person in terms of uh, visual media. Um, so it's not like there was three channels and boxing was on. There's 300 channels and yeah, boxing's on too. Um, but, uh, back then, uh, he was on, like you said, like a Saturday afternoon, this was the offering of TV sports. Uh, so that's, that was a big difference, um, than it is today. And, um, and yeah, he absolutely delivered his first fight with, uh, Rocky Lockridge, where he won the championship in his hometown. Uh, that was ring magazine fight of the year for 1988. It's a really good one. People should definitely check it out. It's, uh, you know, that's the beauty of, uh, being a boxing fan today. Uh, YouTube has made things. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely a wonderful, wonderful, uh, tool for anybody who's um into boxing uh history at all uh if you don't haven't looked through youtube uh, you're missing out because especially fighters in the 70s and 80s um there's just a, a wealth of stuff and thankfully um nobody's you know pulled their uh, uh licenses and stuff on a lot of it because that might happen at some point somebody might start yanking it down but um you know, like all the old these old fights, like the uh, Lockridge fight. Uh, it's uh, great announcers of Tim Ryan and Gil Clancy, who used to be so good. Um, but uh, like you said, I mean, he this was a, a hardworking guy uh, as he was coming up and uh, notching off the wins before the Lockridge fight. He was also working a full time job. He worked operating machines at H.C. Uh, Muddox, uh, which was a brick manufacturer. And um, he definitely he did have one blemish like you guys were talking about. Um, you and uh, Larry Hazard were talking about that the, the thing. Um, getting a blemish on your record, uh, you know, stuff happens. Um, boxing, um, uh, that's the thing about it is that you, when you avoid risk, um, it's, you don't learn anything. Uh, one of his, the tougher fights that he had, or was at least a bump in the road, was when he fought uh, Rico Ryan. 
um, Rico Ramos. I'm sorry, Rico Ramon. I'm sorry. Um, he uh, he he hit him when he was down, so he he got a DQ. Um, but he was able to fight him again, and uh, they um, the, he won a rematch. I mean, the first fight it was uh, it was almost a um, a near riot because the crowd was very upset that they DQ'd um, uh, Tony Lopez. But um, you know, he recovered from that, of course, and ends up with the uh, Ring Magazine Fight of the Year. That um, I did want to mention um, in the uh, in that fight with Rocky Lockridge he gets up Lopez gets nailed with an overhand right in the eighth round uh that hits him in the ear oh man Billy C that shot the fact that he got up from it you literally see him stiffen up and fall over uh but he gets up and goes on to win it it was a great fight um as a matter of fact like you had mentioned earlier he picked up uh, his world title the uh uh, junior uh, lightweight world title uh, in that Rocky Lockeridge fight, and then he goes on and and I mean when you start looking at the names after that he he, he fights John John Molina, uh, wins that one has a rematch with Rocky Lockeridge wins that stops Tyrone Jackson, uh, fights John John Molina again uh, after the Tyrone Jackson uh, had somewhat of an easier fight against Sylvester Kenyon um, after. Uh, after that fight and then uh he goes on to fight uh, Molina again Jorge Paez Brian Mitchell I mean uh I mean what a what a gauntlet of, of fighters Joey Gamash I mean uh, Greg Haugen you know and then he's got the big names Julio Cesar Chavez on his record the the thing I I mentioned earlier from 1988 to 1992 that had to be really the toughest stretch with opponents and the most success he had because he did fall and lose his title, and um, uh, tried to to climb back up. He lost back to back fights. Uh, uh, Freddie actually three fights in a row, uh, including the Julio Cesar Chavez fight. Uh, then Freddie Pendleton, which is always the story in himself. Freddie Pendleton, um, you know, he, he was a former world champion with. Uh, I mean, talk about an unimpressive record when he fought uh, Tony the Tiger Lopez, thirty eight and twenty with four draws, but that's, that's what I loved about Freddie Pendleton, you know, but then Charles Murray was another big name in the division um, when uh, when he fought and lost, but he, he started climbing back up the ladder and rattled off uh, a bunch of wins uh, until his fight with Hector Cuas uh, in 1999. He realized that he was done, uh, Alex, being blown away in one round and then walked away. That's another thing that I have always admired about fighters, especially successful fighters like Tony Lopez, who you know had been a multi-division world champion, who had been uh, through some ups and downs earlier in his career, then has the wherewithal to realize, you know what, it's over. Um, I got to go to the next chapter in my life. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah, he definitely did, and uh, he, like you said, he um, became successful in uh, as a bail bondsman and running, running a bail bonds uh, uh, agency, and uh, he's become successful in that, and uh, that's always um, great to see a fighter, um, you know, because this 
sport, uh, you know, um, is a meat grinder uh, for so many. And uh, always to see somebody who uh, makes something of themselves in their uh, career after boxing is great. But, um, yeah, that fight with Freddie Pendleton you mentioned, that was a brawl, uh, too. Both guys, you know, sort of pass, way past their primes, and uh, but they still uh, a hell of a fight. Uh, Lo- Tony the Tiger was down four times, and Pendleton was down once in that one. But, yeah, uh, like you had said, that eight, 1988 uh, to 92 stretch there, uh, he fought anybody who is everybody everybody who's anybody is that how it goes yeah. uh at the uh yeah, at the 130 and 135 area um those fights with john john molina were very uh he had three fights with him and the first one was a tough fight and you know molina gave him wrinkles he was more of a boxer whereas he had beaten lockridge in in in, in a brawl molina gave him some uh wrinkles M- molina was the taller you know the tall guy uh and uh, then in the second fight, he actually stops him. Um, and then in the rematch, uh, the rubber match, uh, Lopez beat him again. And then, like you said, a UD win over Paez. And then that fight with Brian Mitchell was um, a good one, too. That was a draw. I think Brian Mitchell is Brian. I think he's been on the Hall of Fame ballot quite a few times. But I don't remember if he's in the Hall of Fame or not. Um, because this is that's the area there. Uh, other than you said, you know, Julio Cesar Chavez, of course, is one of the Hall of Fame names on his record. But um, yeah, Brian Mitchell is the other. Uh, Rocky Lockridge, of course, has been on the ballot a number of times. Is not in the Hall of Fame. See, this, um, this is what this is my problem. You and I talk about this all the time with the Hall of Fame, and from what we can gather. We look at these fighters, and depending upon how their record is against other Hall of Famers, usually dictates whether they get in or not. And this is my problem with that formula, Alex, because a guy like Tony the Tiger Lopez, and similar to a guy like Marlon Starling, who we talk about all the time, you know, yeah, maybe he didn't get the W's, but but what about the other guys that they fought multiple times in the the relevance that they had during the time they were fighting in the divisions and how important they were, and then you get past them, and then they're actually being held back because they didn't get the W. You know, I I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. It's it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how many people get in the Hall of Fame from this era that we're in now. You know, uh, twenty years from now compared to these guys, you know, I, I mean, the, the landscape of the sport was so much different. You know, you see these multiple fights, you know, you get a good fight against Rocky Lockridge, so you have another. It makes sense. You know, uh, they, you want the fight, there's the guy to fight, bam, you fight him, oh, it was a good fight, let's have another one. Instead, now, they don't do that. This is the fight we want to see. Oh, so let's let it marinate. Let's let it sit and, and have people clamoring for it for years and then have one fight, and then that's it. You know, I, I mean, that, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. And it almost seems like this era, the '80s and '90s era, are fighters that are being uh, left out for the wrong reasons. I, I think you have to look at the whole, um, you know, body of work of, of their careers, not just. And this is an assumption because we seem to have been able to follow the bouncing ball with the uh, Hall of Fame. But you have to look at the whole body of work and the accomplishments that they've had, not just what other Hall of Famers they got a W against. 
Right, right. And I'm not saying, uh, and I don't think you are either, that uh, that's the only thing uh, Canistota looks at, but it does seem to weigh heavily in their minds. And, I, and I'm and i not sure that they're wrong, you know, that it shouldn't. But I think one thing to note here is he had the fight, especially the fight with Chavez, because that the WBC's uh, fingernails were fingernails. Oh, boy, I'm a little uh, it's early. Um, it, uh, we're all fingerprints. We're all over that fight. Um, because uh, that was Chavez past his prime. Actually, and one of the other things I do want to mention, that was an awesome uh, Don King event, of course. But that was sort of in uh, what um, uh, Austin Colleen refers to as the very long uh, Julio Cesar Chavez retirement tour, where he kept fighting guys and, um, you know, uh, making money, but um, they weren't, it wasn't as risky fights anymore. Uh, get get this, this, that fight was in Monterrey, Mexico, uh, Nueva Leon, and uh, Jorge Castro fought John David Jackson on that card, Chavez versus Tony the Tiger Lopez, Frankie Randall versus Rocky Rodney Moore, Felix Trinidad versus Oba Carr, and Ricardo Finito Lopez versus Yamil Caraballo and a whole bunch of other fights. Um, so it just tells you those – oh, Tony Tucker was even on that card. Uh, and Maurice Blocker. So those Don King cards, they were loaded. But here's the thing about that Chavez fight with Tony Lopez. Um, like you said, the performance against Hall of Famers. You got to think about the whole performance, though. Uh, against, the other, uh, against the other Hall of Famer, Brian Mitchell, he has a draw and a loss. Against Chavez, he has a loss. But in that loss, he broke Chavez's ribs – um, the chop, the fight was stopped on a little cut that needed two stitches and the, the ring doctor looked at the cut from the floor, uh, the floor of the arena. He didn't even climb up on the ring. Um, so the fight was stopped as Tony Lopez tells, uh, Killeen. Uh, the fight was stopped not because of the cut, but because of Chavez's ribs. The only fighter that went to the press conference was Tony Lopez. Uh, Chavez went to the hospital. <laughs> so it is one of those things. But, you know, it was in Mexico. Jose Suleiman was there. Don King was there smiling. So, yeah, you know, that's uh, that should weigh in as part of the uh, – uh, you know the part of part of the, what you measure when you think about um, Lopez's credentials for the Hall of Fame, and one of the things that he was saying all through that preparation is that um, you know what you you're going to have ten rounds, and then I'm going to knock you out, and uh, th they stopped the fight in the eighth. What are you suggesting, Alex? Well, uh, I mean, what what exactly? I mean, what exactly are you suggesting? Don King, uh, uh, Suleiman in there, and uh, that's and and it was a vicious two stitch cut, by the way. You know, <laughs> it was so bloody. Yeah, it was. They, they, I mean, it took a whole blob of Vaseline to stop that one from bleeding. You know, but uh, yes, no. a butterfly closure. Yeah, yeah right. Died. A butter. It didn't even need a stitch. A butterfly bandaid is all it took. <laughs> How did he do in uh, title bout? Um, in title bout, he did really well. In one of them, I was a little surprised because so he had a lot of success at 130 and 135. So I put him in against the two uh, current top guys there, and we have two of the best guys in boxing. At 130, we have Vasil Lomachenko, and at 135, we have the destroyer Mikey Garcia. So uh, against Lomachenko, the first time they fight, uh, Lomachenko wins uh, – 
it's very interesting. He wins by TKO in round eight on cuts. Um, but this one seemed like a legitimate cut. They checked, they checked, uh, in the game, you know, they continue to check, uh, um, Lopez's eye after the sixth, after the seventh, you know, and then there's little notes that it looks bad. They'll give it one more round. And then the eighth, they stopped it, uh, two minutes and 12 seconds of the eighth round when they fight a hunt. Oh, at the time, this was interesting too, because as we've seen Lomachenko fights, he, he, not only does he win, uh, but he wins every round. This was not the case in the seven rounds. They scored Lopez won two. There was one even, and the judges gave four to Lomachenko. Uh, when they fight a hundred times, Tony Lopez only wins 10. He loses 83. They draw seven times. He was able to stop Lomachenko five times and Lomachenko scored 44 knockouts in his 83 victories. Now, uh, the, the, uh, results at, uh, 135 versus Mikey Garcia are completely different. Um, the first time he fights Garcia, uh, the tiger wins by KO at 33 seconds of round number nine. Uh, Lopez was completely dominating. He got a, off to a great start and dropped Garcia in the first round and um, was leading eight rounds to one on all three cards when he stopped him. When they fight 100 times, he wins 82 Gar and loses 18, and he knocked Garcia out 70 times. In uh, Mikey Garcia's 18 victories, he's, he was able to stop Lopez 12 times. Hmm. That's... Uh... You know, you gotta love that title belt game. I'll tell you that. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's that's interesting. It's interesting how they uh, come up with that. But uh, this week's blast from the past: Tony the Tiger Lopez. Excellent job as usual, Alex. Uh, Tony the Tiger Lopez. Uh, FYI, in world title fights, he had a record of nine wins, four losses, and a draw. And then against former world champions, he did pretty well too: eight wins, six losses, and a draw. Uh, and in addition to uh, uh, the fight of the year that uh, Alex mentioned in 1990, he won uh, Ring Magazine's Comeback uh, of the Year Award, which is interesting because, like we had said, from 1988 to 1992, it seemed like he was on uh, a tear for those four years. Uh, and, um, you know, he gets a Comeback Award. So uh, to me, that all just shows you how competitive the sport was during that time. And that's why... Uh, I always wonder about the uh, the Hall of Fame, but in any event, well, if I could just if I could just throw in this uh, final word here from uh, Killeen, because uh, I think he puts it up, he puts it very well, um, and and this is the whole thing is that if you don't have wins over Hall of Famers, what more can you do than fight the best of your time? Uh, Killeen says wins over Lockridge two, Molina two. Paez, Gamash, and Haugen, plus a draw against a prime Mitchell, showed his willing to, willingness to fight some of the best of his era. His career includes 15 title fights with a 10-4-1 record. In my travels to Canastota, New York, each June, I see boxers into the, enshrined into the Hall of Fame who've accomplished far less. I, I agree with Austin 100%. 100%. Tony Tiger Lopez, former world junior lightweight and lightweight champion, had a career record 50 wins, 34 by knockout. He lost eight times in which he was stopped four. Uh, he had uh, one draw, 380 rounds uh, for uh, slightly under 
60% knockout ratio. Tony the Tiger, this week's blast from the past. And uh, Alex, great job as usual. And uh, you have a great and hap, hap, happy Thanksgiving. And we will look forward to you uh, next week, my man. You too, my brother. Uh, say uh, hello to everyone in the family and uh, have a great one. You too. Thank you very much. That's uh, Alex Papali. You can catch him here with a blast from the past on Wednesdays. I'm going to take a short break. Sal Rocky Senecola will be back in uh, two minutes. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where? back you're watching and listening to the billy c show uh glad uh you're with us today and uh, back with us is uh my man uh, sal rocky senecola and yes i saw your bifocals uh funny. but uh we got uh we got a bunch of uh, i got some emails i want to try and blow through here sal so we you can uh, get this done uh first and foremost uh we have some other scores for you real quick in college football last night there were three games akron beat kent state 24 to 14 eastern michigan squeaked out a win over bowling green 34 31 and my miami of ohio uh, beat up on ball state 28 to 7 there was one game in the nba and the lakers beat the bulls 103 to 94 and in the national hockey league we had the canucks beating the flyers 5 to 2 the blues over the oilers 8 to 3 and the stars over the Canucks, uh, I'm sorry, stars over the Canadians, three to one. I got the first email. This is from my man Jesse. He says, hey, Billy C. and Sal, I think Mikey is correct in taking the Showtime office since the money is more. Easter is a champion, and Lynn Ayers hasn't really fought anybody. Uh, now that Crawford is gone from junior welterweight, Mikey can become the man in that division. All the other guys are just learning to go to the top. Uh, and stay at the top like Lipinets, Bartholomew, etc. Mikey is uh, light years ahead of all of them, and Linares maybe should go after Fortuna, Verdejo, Rel Beltran, etc., and maybe next summer Linares against Mikey. He also says, can you put Tony Lopez in with Loma, uh, Chanko, Rigondeau, Linares, Jesse Mag, etc.? Um, you know, uh, just so you know, Alex puts him in with current world champions. We did get uh, Lopez in with Lomachenko. Uh, as far as this, I, I totally disagree. First of all, Lin Ayers, uh is an accomplished champion. He had a, a bad uh, stretch there a little bit, but he, he got back up on the horse. I, I don't agree with the fact that, um, you know, the fans, and in this case, Jesse, uh, accepts that the fighter takes the easiest route. I will agree with Mikey Garcia, Sal, that, you know, you take the most money for the least risk, but at some point in time, you know, it becomes more than money. It becomes, you know, legacy type. And, uh, you know, you don't want to go down in history as being remembered for just taking the best paydays. That's what's going to happen to Floyd, guaranteed. Um, and Mikey Garcia is a much better fighter, I think, you know, and uh, he's more exciting. And, you know, although I can't disagree with getting the most money for the least risk, I, I think Linares would have been a more attractive fight. What's your quick thoughts? Well, I kind of hinted yesterday, Bill, that I think that uh, I think Mikey Garcia, I'll give him a pass on this to take this fight at this time. You know, uh, I think uh, he can afford it. 
and uh, you know it's going to be a, a good sized purse for the amount of risk he's going to expose himself to or subject himself to. And uh, I think the Lanier's fights uh, around the corner whenever they want it anyway. So I, I don't I don't really want to be so critical on Mikey Garcia trying to maximize what he can do right now and be showcased, if you will. And uh, it may help his marketing value uh, in the future for Lanier's or for anybody else in that top level. Right. No, that's a good point. Um, my man Mitch says, uh, hey, Billy C., how dare you question the uh, – the, <laughs> how dare you ask the question yesterday if Saddam Ali has a shot at beating Miguel Cotto? Does he have a shot? Yes, you should be asking if Cotto has a shot. Saddam Ali has future Hall of Famer – trainer Andre Rozier in his corner that should tell you all you need to know he's coming to win Saddam Ali knockout in four obviously wow. he's kidding no he's kidding uh he knows <laughs> I I think Andre Rozier is awful as a trainer um he's just lucky to have a quality fighter and Daniel Jacobs uh to uh to put him on the map thanks for the uh comic relief my man Mitch and finally one more uh email this is from our friend Raheem. Haven't heard from Raheem right, in a while. Raheem. He says, hey, Billy C. and Sal. It's me, Raheem. Hey, Raheem. Uh, he says, I would like your opinion on college football versus the NFL. This year, for me, my Bears had a shot at the playoffs, but it looks like it's not going to happen. Uh, other than my Bears, I would rather watch college football, especially after all, gonna neg all of the negative things that have happened in the NFL. My family is from Ghana, and we love the USA. And our Bears. It just seems college football to me is getting better and funner to watch. I think that Alabama is good enough to beat a lot of pro teams. If Alabama played the Jets in a neutral field, I think Alabama, would, who averages one loss a year, uh, can beat the Jets or even the Giants. That's your team and Sal's, respectively. Right. I want to get your thoughts if Bama played the Jets or Giants, who wins. First and foremost, I'll tell you this. College football is ten times more entertaining than the NFL especially today I love college football and the older I get the more I like it and the reason is because of the entertainment factor not everything is a give me uh, a chip shot field goal isn't always a chip shot field goal they go for fourth downs uh, you have a lot of emotions in the games the fans are into it the kids I, I, I love it okay um, the NFL has gotten to be too much for me Putting aside the disrespect for the national anthem, uh, these players are, in my opinion, paid a lot of money. It's all about them. They don't care about the team. They don't care about the fans. And uh, the other issue that I, I have is all the celebrations. And I'm not talking about a touchdown celebration. Uh, yeah, I think playing Duck, Duck, Goose and Leapfrog and uh, all these other things that they do is a little over the top. But they, they, they celebrate after getting a first down. They celebrate after making a catch. They celebrate after making a tackle. You know, this is stuff that they're supposed to be doing. It, it doesn't re to me, it doesn't cause for a celebration. It's a joke. That's what I like about college. Now... The uh, issue about Alabama. Now, I, I am an Alabama fan. There's no question about it. I have three. I, I like a lot of college teams, but my top three college teams, Alabama, number one, Boise State, number two, and Georgia Bulldogs, number three. Um, uh, the truth of the matter is, is as much as I would like to say that Alabama is good enough to beat uh, the Jets or Giants or any other crappy team, uh, that's not the case. Um, the truth of the matter is, is Alabama, as dominating as they are, uh, you could take uh, e even Alabama, a top team like them, maybe five or six of those players will get drafted into the NFL at some point, whether they stay in the NFL or not, who knows. 
Uh, but think of that when you got an NFL team, even guys sitting on the bench that could be starters for a college team, a good college team like Alabama or Georgia. Uh, you know, so no, unfortunately, um, the college teams will never beat an NFL team. Uh, last year, as a matter of fact, they had a lot of discussion about that. The Cleveland Browns against Alabama, they had a fantasy line, and the uh, Cleveland Browns were favored by double digits. So uh, uh, as much as I love Alabama, as much as I love college football, uh, you put that team uh, in with an NFL team, and they do not win. What's your thoughts, Sal? I agree with you there. I mean, you know, you're talking about, first of all, the college players, you know, they're usually under 22 years of age. And physiologically, I can tell you right now, we know it in fighters, we know it in athletes. You mature as an adult, you know, when you're 28, when you're 30, when you you get the beef, you get the, you get the, plus who knows if they're doing any juice in the NFL. I don't know. I'm not saying they do, but the bottom line is these guys are bigger, stronger, and, and uh, you know, they are playing for the Bucks uh, and their market value. Uh, I think they have some incentives. And you know what I do love about the enthusiasm of the college ball games is that, the, you know, they are playing for their school. They are playing for to get picked up in the NFL and everything else. So there is passion. There is drive. There is humbleness. And uh, so there is definitely two different uh, uh, sets of mindsets and everything else. But I, I think it would be very hard for a top college team to beat even a mediocre professional team. Even a terrible professional team, like the Browns well, yeah, or the I was Giants. Say that. <laughs> even an awful, terrible team like the <laughs> Browns or the Giants, you know. But uh, It's not like Rigandow. It's not like Rigandow in a in a in a uh, in a uh, in an amateur career coming into the ring uh, on a pro debut or, or fighting a pro, you know? No, no, but um anyway. Um all right. Good point, so, though. No, it, it is. I, and, and, you know, I also thought Larry made a great point earlier about the Barclays Center. That, that's a good one. Uh, unfortunately. Well, it is. I mean, I, definitely. I mean, people get in the habit. Fight fans are fight fans. And, and let's face it. I mean, I could give you stories. I mean, Ice World in Total in New Jersey, which was a, was, was a breeding ground for all some future whole, Hall of Famers and world champions. Uh, it, it was great. People looked yeah, forward but, to it. When but, there was a fight announced at the Ice World. I, bam! It was sold out. I know, but the different. But the difference is, is, is back then most of those fights were local fighters, so it was local yeah. audience. I think he hit on a, a point about the Barclays Center, and 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 quite honestly, the Barclays Center has marketed themselves to be the place to go to watch fights, and and I think yes. he was right by saying, yeah. hey, you know, you got these these. Uh, you know, sports fans, generic sports fans that say, hey, there's a boxing match over at the Barclays yes. Center. Let's go. They don't even know. They don't even know who's fighting, but they're going to go. You know, and that and well, I think, well, and I that's think what I was trying right. to lead to, Bill. Exactly. Even though they were breeding local talent at Ice World, the bottom line is people love the venue because it was so convenient. It was easy to access and it was predictable. You had a great night of exposing some great fights and and having, you know, uh, the close ride home and everybody came in to have a good time and that was it so yes i, I share and i definitely agree with you know i had i that. i had a couple of my fighters uh fight there you know it, it was okay. a great venue and especially the way it's laid out um you got uh, other events going on you have the the place where they had the fights and uh you know you, you always had uh i know uh uh i know uh there was some you know a lot of fan favorites but um uh, like uh, Mickey Ward, uh, not Mickey Ward, but um, uh, what's his name that he fought? Um, who, who's uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. 
Um, I'm looking at his picture right here. Not not Joey Gamash. Um, uh, who's the guy that that his wife killed? Um, oh, that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, uh, Tony. Uh, no, uh, uh, he went to prison. No, no, he did no, not go to prison. Time. No, um, you're talking about um, you're talking about um, Gaddy. Yeah, Arturo, Arturo Gaddy. Gaddy. Thank you. I'm sitting here looking at the picture that that Mickey Ward uh, <laughs> gave me himself, <laughs> and uh, you know, Arturo Gaddy used to be. Uh, there all the time, uh, you know, I mean, as, as a, you know, watching fights and stuff, uh, people would go up to him all the time. But anyway, um, we have our uh, trivia question, and uh, it was a tough one, but guess what, Sal? Sal, guess what? No, I just, I got blacked out yeah, my you, sound. No, you did, and uh, I saw that. <laughs> um, we have a winner. We have a winner. Oh, um, we have a the, winner. The question was... I am in the International Boxing Hall of Fame, and I once lost four consecutive fights uh, against two brothers. Who am I? Um, and uh, I, I gave a hint yesterday. I said his fighting name uh, began, and his first and last name of his fighting uh, name had the same letter. And my man, Coach, Coach came Coach. through. He knew that the answer is Battling Batano and Battling uh, uh, battling Battolino. And Battolino lost two fights against Billy Petroli and then his next two against his brother, uh, Frankie. So uh, wow. he lost four fights against the Petroli brothers. So uh, uh, congratulations to Coach. I sent him uh, a copy of the title bout championship computer game. And um, I got another one here that I let you guys work on for uh, Thanksgiving weekend. And here's the question. Name the boxer who fought the most fights from the start of his career before being defeated by a stoppage. Name the fighter who fought the most fights from the start of his career before being defeated by a stoppage. And not only do I want the fighter, I want the number of fights that he had before wow. being stopped. If you're the first one to answer this question correctly by emailing me, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, that's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, you'll win your copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. Sal, you want to give it a shot? I was going to say Jack Dempsey. Um, no, that's not Jack Dempsey. Okay. Leo um, Cesar Chavez. No. How many guesses are you going to have? You get one a show, all right? <laughs> so uh, next, week, next, next, <laughs> next week, if nobody gets it right, you'll get another shot, okay? So calm down, kids. Um, one more time. <laughs> Name the boxer who fought the most fights from the start of his career before being defeated by a stoppage. If you're the first one to email me the correct answer, Billy at Talkin' Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. You'll win the prize. Good luck to everybody on that. Hey, listen, uh, as a programming note, you guys know we won't be back till Monday uh, due to the Thanksgiving holiday. And I want to express uh, from myself and everybody involved with the Billy C uh, brand, we would like to wish all of you a very happy Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy uh, filling your faces and stuffing yourself uh, with uh, your friends and family. And uh, we certainly look forward to you when we come back. And uh, we apologize today for some of the technical problems we had with the stream. Uh, but, uh, hey, we got it done, and it's over. So, uh, anyway, hey, listen, happy Thanksgiving. Make sure you tune in Monday morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.